All right, well, let's get started uh, this morning with our uh, lesson. We are in uh, Genesis 22. Um, I've been thinking about, kind of leaning about, thinking about last week and then also this week, kind of comparing the two different situations that Abraham found himself in, where God was, God last week asked him to do what he thought in that moment was the hardest thing that he would ever have to do. Do you remember what it was? He was he was going to have to say goodbye to his son Ishmael. But it wasn't just say goodbye. He was the instrument by which the saying goodbye was going to happen. In other, in other words, yeah, okay, Sarah said she wanted Hagar and the son to go. Okay, we get that part. But But in those days, the father... And the husband had all the power. So at the end of the day, he could have said to Sarah, no, the right thing to do is for Ishmael to stay here. Now, then God intervened. And what did God say? He said, listen to your wife. I know we discussed that already. All right. But he basically was saying that what what she is saying, you have to do. And so then now he's he's stuck. He's having he loves this kid. And and he's been this that's been his son for 13 years and has been the only child for 13 years. And so now he's having to say to his son, whom he dearly loved, he's having to say that you have to go. And in that moment, that would have been the hardest thing ever that Abraham probably at that point would have ever had to do. So the question that I put up or the, the thought that I put up on the board is when God asks of you, your hardest thing. What do you do with it? Well, let's start with what is. what are some examples of the hardest things that God may or has already asked of you? And we could play with, is it a command or an ask? I just put the word ask up there. Okay. So what are some of the things that you might say, oh, boy, if God asked me to do that, I don't know. Or maybe you have already in your experience of life can look back at something and say, you already asked me. What would be some things? Yeah, Lawrence. Control your temper. Okay, control your temper. To not let the moment take over and then the emotions that you have, especially anger that you have in the moment, um, uh, be in control. Okay, that's that's one for sure. Yeah, Kim. Okay, yeah, moving your parents in with you was one of the hardest things, and then having to have your parents go to a different place to live. Ooh, yeah. What else? Hardest things. Hmm? Yeah, Jill? Moving? Moving, and it was very hard. I didn't realize it was going to be as hard. Yeah. After I did it, I said, what was I thinking? <laughs> 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 I was 65, I'm diabetic, and hello, and I yeah. moved from Houston here. But God spoke to me for many years after Mike died. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be gone. I wanted my boy, but I thought, well, they're only four hours away. Yeah. I go to the church. My husband built. Yeah. House is paid for. You know, you go through all the stuff. Honestly. And then the freeze came. And the pipe. Oh, the freeze. Yeah. And the house flooded. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I looked up while the water was rushing in, and I said, I Yeah. Yeah. 
Even though you were leaving Houston, I mean, really, I mean, but yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Yeah, I know. I asked for it. Yeah, this is the Astro section over here. All right. All right, what else? What else? Got the hardest things that God asks of you. Oh, there we get into the quality stuff, right? Patience. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. What? Yeah. Especially if you... Yes, but that's it's a little different because if you've been with a certain career for a certain length of time, your skill sets are designed for that and your relationships are built around that and the whole that whole thing that goes with it. Yeah. It is interesting how often... We have a sort of prescribed, or at least in our own mind, prescribed comfort zone. And we don't always know what it is because most of us think that we are quite wide open. Yes, we are so, we are so open to things. There's no way that any of us would have any sort of, you know, possession of a comfort zone until what? Until it gets pressed on, right? Until the moment when God comes either in his word or he comes through a person or he comes through a circumstance or perhaps even a flood, whatever it might be. And he says, nope, you go. And all of a sudden we become acutely aware of what that comfort zone is and how perhaps narrow it might have been, right? Okay, so let's take that back into Abraham's world. For Abraham, it was all about God. And it was all about family. But with respect to family, it wasn't about his wife. It was about the idea that I want to have a legacy to pass on to who's coming ever after me, right? I mean, that was the big deal in those days. Still probably is today. And so then when God said, well, I'm going to give you a legacy, a great nation. It's going to be millions of people, lots of descendants. And then he had to wait 100 years for God to deliver on that one. And in the meantime, he thought, well, I'll just help God along because God's kind of, you know, taking his time. So the Ishmael and then the Isaac thing comes along. So what we have today is the account of God going to Abraham and saying, you remember that thing that I had you do with Ishmael and you thought that was the worst thing ever that you were going to have to deal with in your life? Well, I got a new one for you. And so we pick it up here. Okay, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham as he said to him, Abraham. That should have been a warning right there. (laughs) Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Can you imagine? Can't imagine. Partly because human sacrifice and child sacrifice was common in that era in the cultures in which they worshipped false gods. The Moriah gods, the Molech gods, and the Baal gods all insisted on the sacrifice of innocent blood. And innocent blood was usually consist of either children or virgins, which in their mind was the sort of unstained or unpolluted life, then that would be offered up to the God. And the idea was was that then that would appease the God because the God was very angry about the fact that people were sinners. So what's interesting is, is that cross-culturally, there was that awareness that people are flawed. 
that people are sinful, that people are not perfect, and that God is not happy about that. The difference between monotheism or Christianity and everybody else was not the fact that people are sinners, was not the fact that God was not happy about it. The difference is, is that in Christianity, God did something about it rather than insisting that the sinners somehow fix themselves. That was the difference. But Abraham would not have known that at this point. All he had to go on was the fact that God had made this promise to him. He had already said the covenant is going through Isaac. It's not going to go through Ishmael. And he already told Abraham that his job was to cast or to banish Ishmael, who would have been the other one. That was There were only two. That would have been the other one. But now we just got one. And you're asking me to do what? Take him off to some mountain somewhere and, oh, you'll tell me when we get there? He had heard that before. Let's look at Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. Kind of interesting reference in the New Testament to what Abraham went through in the Old Testament. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God has said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is that what what could have, see how to say it, what, what could have been part of Abraham's faith, in being willing to go through with this, as we know he did. At least that was, he did everything up to the final hour, right? Um, that he trusted that even if his son died, he, that God would raise his son back to, back to life. That's what the rather Hebrews is saying. Now imagine that. Imagine having to be the one who pulls the plug, who drops the knife, who throws the switch, I mean, whatever would be the mechanism by which that would happen in your life, imagine that, trusting that God made that promise, He told me this is the one, and now I'm going to go through with it, but I'm going to trust that what happens afterwards, God is going to make okay. Can you imagine yourself doing that? I cannot imagine myself doing that. I would doubt myself. I would doubt that. I would doubt that that came from God, too. I would think, hmm, let's see if we can't uh, verify this. Just uh, That would be tough. Yeah. Now, again, we have the sense here that between Abraham and God, there was a direct communication. Okay? So there wasn't any question that he would imagine this, or was I sleeping, you know, that kind of thing. Okay? All right. So what does he do? Let's see what happens. Next, verse 3. Early the next morning. Stop there. How much sleep do you think he got that night? <laughs> None, right? None. And I wonder if in his prayers that night, it was a real wrestling match. You know, why me? Why not me? You know, all those kinds of things. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. 
On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Notice how long they had to journey. See, this wasn't like, go do this and five minutes later it will happen and it's over with and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. This is three days. It's a three days journey for Abraham as he is thinking about what he's about to do at the same time that he is thinking about God's promise. And you see the dilemma. The human dilemma is for us is that, yeah, we know the promises. Oh, I've read the Bible a million times. I know exactly what it says. All those good things are there for me. And yet you're asking me to do the hardest thing ever in my life. And I don't know if I can get that out of my head because of the difficulty of it. And yet I'm trusting in you. That's the Christian life. We got two voices in our heads, the voice of what God says and what he promises and what he assures us and what he says about himself. I have compassion on whom I have compassion. I have mercy on whom I have mercy. We know the compassion and the mercy are there. We just hope it's there for us. And one of the things that happens is, is that when we are asked to do the difficult, hard, sacrificial things, that's when we doubt. God's mercy and his compassion. And we say, there's just no way that any of that compassion and any of that mercy can show up in this situation. And that's what he's wrestling with the whole way over. Now, at this point, how do you know he has faith in God's promises? At this point, how do you know? Hmm? He went, that's the first thing, he went. Okay? But he could have gone out of a little fear, right? God's pretty big. I remember what he did at Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't want that happening to me. I mean, there could be a little bit of that, right? A little bit of that. And, and there is a sense of fear. Well, it'll, it'll show up a little bit later. But what clue do you get that he's trusting? This time he didn't argue. Oh, he didn't argue with him. <laughs> yeah, there was none of that on this one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. But, but there's a little detail in the, in the text. What's he say? We, we. Who's we? Because he's talking to the servants. He's not, he's not saying we, the servants. What he's saying is, we're going to go, we're going to worship, and we will come back. Calling God out on his promise. Wow. How old is Isaac? 13. Apparently, when you hit 13 in those days, that was not a good thing, you know. In, in our area, in our deal, you know, what do kids do at around 13? They do that way before then. but They start thinking about getting their driver's license, right? And depending on who's going to teach them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is normal teenage stuff, right? But apparently, you just want to skip over 13 in those days. I don't know. All right, let's see what happens. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. So isn't this ironic? He's going to be the sacrifice, and he's got to carry his own wood. Yeah, what a bummer. And he himself, that's Abraham, carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb? 
for the burnt offering. Now, the, uh, the irony of this, or the, just the interesting aspect of this, is you look, fast forward 2,000 years or whatever it is. The little note. Isaac carried the wood. Jesus carried the cross. Isaac asked about the lamb. Jesus is the lamb. Isn't that interesting? So Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Right. It should. There's the moment. See, not only is God asking Abraham to do the hardest thing ever he would have to do in his life, but he's taking him right up to the last moment to see if Abraham will do it. Now, we could argue, well, God knew ahead of time that Abraham was going to do it, right? Well, you could say that. So who is the beneficiary of the test? Abraham. See, God's not the beneficiary. God already knew, right? In fact, he's the one who's the tester. But you think, what in the world could be a benefit to Abraham who's being asked to do this terrible, horrible thing? What could possibly be a benefit to him, maybe in God's eyes, I suppose, but, but what, could, what could be a, a blessing that would come out of the test? Tim? Yeah, it's strengthened in his faith. I mean, when you look at the text here, it says, God himself, as Abraham answers, God himself will provide, not has provided, as he's taken us up, will provide. So Abraham's faith wasn't strong enough up to that point, and it really needed to be pushed over the cliff just to see if it really was. He's just confirming his faith. Yeah. I'll push back on that a little bit. I'm Don't a little, you, I'm oh, a little come skeptical. On. I'm a little skeptical of that. In fact, I, That's it, Chris, the friendship is over. I think Abraham's full of crap, basically. The whole way, he's basically, oh yeah, we're going to come back. That's basically just to appease. He's like, no, we're not coming back. I'm coming back. So he's basically committed to the cause of action, but God will provide a ram. He's got no idea God's going to provide a ram. He is basically saying anything just to maintain composure, to maintain his son's confidence right up until the very end. But he's committed to the course of action. He's committed, but I still think he has the faith. Well, this is yeah. then, thus it needs to be strengthened greatly. <laughs> and we and we shouldn't forget that. Isaac was also committed. I mean, there was like, you know, he didn't run away. I mean, he didn't know. He's left in the dark, okay? But I do like, Chris, what you're saying about that sometimes in our walk of faith, we're in the dark. We're in the dark. Because there are some aspects of faith in life where you can look out in front of you and go, okay, I see a good end. I, I see a good ending here. You know, I mean, I'm basically a positive person anyway, and I kind of do that anyway. I say, well, you know, you know, it, it's probably not all bad. Now, I'm, I'm careful about who I say that to. Okay, but, 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 um, and when I say it. Because sometimes you can say that and you're coming across as kind of, you know, marginalizing other people and that kind of thing. So I don't do it all the time. But I'm thinking that God has a track record of things working out well. Okay? But there's also a history with God that sometimes when things work out well, that he's the only one in the room that realizes that. Because I'm looking at it going, I don't think this is so well. I don't think this is so good. 
It's like that, it's like that passage in Romans, Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him. That's a promise, right? Okay. Well, God, let's argue about good. What's good in your eyes versus what's good in my eyes. What's good in my eyes is something painless, something hassleless, something that's quite easy to bear, and that I can look way out there and I can say, okay, I see the good way out there, so I can stick it out now because I know the good that's yet to be and I know it's going to happen. Abraham had no assurances of that. None. He's in the dark. Now, I don't know if he's full of crap. I don't know about that part. <laughs> but sometimes when you have faith, you are. You know, sometimes it is. Sometimes a faith life is like that, you know. You're the only one thinking, oh, okay, God better come through. Faith isn't easy. No. Sorry, yes. Faith isn't easy. And if you go back to, and I skipped over it on purpose, but now we can go back to it. The very first page. Look at what faith, look what Corinthians and Hebrews says about faith. And this is why faith is good for us, but the process by which it grows in us doesn't feel so good, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we live by faith, not by sight, right? And then Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what? Of what we don't see. We're in the dark. See, when, when, when you don't see, you're in the dark. And that's what the ancients were commended for. There's a lot of life that we're in the dark. We don't know how it's going to end up. And when you don't know how it's going to end up, then what you're left with is either trusting in your own experience or your own senses. And that's what a lot of people today do. They say, well, you know, I know what I see. I know what I think. I know what I feel. I know what my history is. I know all those things. And so on the basis of that, I conclude that God is not loving, God is not merciful, so why even bother with God? So a lot of people believe that. It's very popular today. And where Christians come back at it is that Christians say, yeah, all those things, but Jesus died for us. Yes? There's a really different uh, comparing uh, us to Abraham, Abraham, that... Um, Abraham was talking directly to God. Yes. Yeah. I know. Don't you wish you would talk directly to God? <laughs> but if we trust that God's word is Him. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. It feels sort of third hand, doesn't it, from the Bible? Like, if God said it directly to me, I think I would say, Yes, God. Okay. Just imagine, almost, you can just imagine God, but Abraham And yet this would have been the hardest thing for him to do. Yeah. Keith. So we're going to talk about Isaac at the end because it's sort of like, gee, I wonder, the Bible doesn't say an awful lot about, like, what do you think their trip back was like? I'm thinking that Abraham is saying, now don't breathe a word of this to your mother. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> you know? You know? Because that would have been like, and then imagine when they get home and, and, and Sarah goes, oh, oh, how was your trip? <laughs> yeah, they, well, we got to get our story straight on this one. Yeah. The thing is that she leaves. Yeah. Yeah, or, or dies or something like that. <laughs> we don't know that it's right after. But. 
we would assume that that would have been a natural thing for that to have occurred. So that's for sure. Yeah. Isaac's 13. Yeah. Abraham's 100. Yeah. 113. The most compliant 13-year-old ever in the history of the world, right there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't you know. I don't maybe God spoke to him too. Maybe maybe he maybe he made his son compliant. We sort of wish that would happen today, don't we? Yes. <laughs> Oh, that was the same point. Oh, it's the same point? Yeah, no, Did you want to make it parents. differently? So there is some preparation here for Isaac's life that Isaac does not yet know about. But this would have been one of those like memory moments, you know, in a kid's life when he thinks back to, what were the pivotal moments in your life, do you think? Like if he was in therapy, that this would have been, this would have showed up on that one, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, all right. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's see what, let's see what happened. But the angel of the Lord called out to him, to Abraham, from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he said. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram and caught, caught by its thorn, uh, horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. No idol or no priest of any false religion ever stopped a sacrifice from occurring. But God in his mercy and his compassion does what? He steps in and he says, Isaac's not the one. Now again, God's looking way out in the future and he's saying the reason why Isaac isn't the one is because why? Jesus is the one. And so in that sense, you know, you think about it, but we have the advantage of 2,000 years of being able to look back and say, okay, that was, that was how, that's how it ended, that part, how it ended. But in that moment, that terrible moment, he could not have known that. And so the test for him was not just trusting in God's promises, but also trusting that what God said about himself was true. I have compassion on whom I have compassion. I have mercy on whom I have mercy. Bob. Yeah, I was going to say, Mariah, yeah, Mariah, he's chosen by God. The, that whole region does? Uh, the land is chosen by God. That is also the place where they built the temple, and it's also the place for Calvary. Wow, that's interesting. So all this is, you watch how what they post 15 years later. So all these yeah. great linkages. 15 years later, the night didn't stop. Yeah. No, it didn't. It didn't. And so, not that it's that, um, not as not as a good thing that we should just like humanize God. But imagine God's suffering, that His Son suffered and died at God's hand. God was the one that did it, right? And imagine that anguish 
in some small way, we can probably relate to that. And Abraham would have been able to. Wow. Notice what he says. Now I know that you fear God. So what do you do with that fear word? Do you think people today fear God? I mean, I'm kind of speaking generally. If you fear God, what, well, how does that show up in your life? Remember we say all the time in our, when we're doing like confirmation with the commandments, we should what and what God? We should fear and love God that we may, and then it's whatever the commandment says. So fear and love seem to be sort of contradictory with each other. I mean, how could you love and fear at the same time? So what is, what, what is this talking about? Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son. What does it mean? Fear God. Yeah, Richard? I, I have a struggle with all the times that the Bible says fear God. Fear? You sort of I, I, I look at fear as being afraid of something. Yeah. And I don't really think God doesn't want us to run around in fear of Him as in being afraid. Yes, let's not go that route, okay? <laughs> So, but, but I've got to where that doesn't trouble me as much because I think about you know, awe, respect as being characteristics of mine. Also, fear of God. Is there room though? Is there room for fear? I mean, you know, God is God. We we so we sometimes turn him into a little bit more of a familiar kind of. He's my friend. There's a lot of people today that feel like he's their therapist. No, it, there's actual belief called moralistic th uh, theism, which is this idea that, or moralistic therapeutic deism, that, that God, God is my therapist, and then that what that means is when I go to Him with my needs, He's going to make everything all better. Well, God doesn't make everything all better. I mean, it's better like in the ultimate thing, heaven. That's pretty better, but it it doesn't work out that way all the time. It, we don't always get exactly the way we want it to go. God, now God knows that, and He provides okay yeah shannon i don't look at it as like i fear is who i'm scared of god i look at it as i fear the alternative of not having faith in god because there is a there's a fear of what is going to end up to me if i do not have and trust in the lord is i'm not going to have that eternal life so it's not like i wow. fear of god himself i fear of the fear of a life without him. Yeah. Because wow, you married a sharp lady. <laughs> Let's keep them the gallow. I married up. Don't let her know she married way down. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot get away with anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lawrence. In the New Testament, yeah, New Testament. Uh, Jesus was asked, "What is the greatest commandment?" Yeah, and Jesus answered. Fear God and keep His commandments. The word fear there is unqualified. It's unqualified. It's not a great deal. It's not explained. 
is spoken. Fear God and keep his commandments. Okay. That's the end of it. Okay. That's the end of it. <laughs> It's, it won't be the end of opinions here, but it will be the end. Okay, all right. Now, let's see what you've done. You've got everybody going here now. Yeah, I know it. All right, Jill. We're just gonna. I'm gonna go sweeping to the left, to the right. Yeah. Kind of like as a child. Yeah. We love our parents, but we also fear them. Yeah. They set boundaries, and we have free will. They them, and I can spank them. For our own good, right? Didn't we grow up hearing that? This is for your own good. And I think God does that to us. Sometimes He gives up to us because He loves us that much. That fear, I think, in then turns into awe because He is big up in heaven. But that fear is, is there to make sure that we know that He is See, one of the things we want to think about, and that's a good example. What's the difference between punishment that you receive from someone who loves you versus someone who does not? What's the difference? I know, but but what is the difference that that care makes for you as you contemplate the pain on your backside? When they say this hurts me more than you. Yeah, that's just a baloney stuff their parents say. <laughs> Think about it. All right, think about it. What is the difference? What is the difference in you when you know that you're being disciplined or punished by somebody that really loves you and that they have your best interests in mind and you know it versus you're just somebody else that they're going to go after? That they don't, it, they're in a care. They're in, there's not a love there. What's the difference? Not in the pain. The pain is still the pain. Let me tell you, sure is. But what you do with it is what make is the difference that is made. That's the difference. Okay? And that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with the, what's already been stated about fear and about respect. Yeah. All respect. That's kind of the way I've looked at it. But I had a question that bothers me. Every time I read it, and you can tell the word, tell us the word, and I can remember it, that this comes from. And that's calling God Daddy. I have a real problem with that. Calling you mean like God. Father? Dad. Father. God. When he's referred to as Daddy, my Daddy. Oh. Because there's a word, uh, Hebrew or Greek, that means apparently Dad. Means Father. It's, you know, it's in scripture referred to. And I guess that but the reason right there that. When I call him daddy, to me that is just this is a, a right down. Here. It's like bringing him to a lower level. Oh yeah. Why yeah. I feel that way? Where I call him father, yeah. with daddies, and that's what I call my own father. Growing up, I called him daddy, but I had great respect for him and all. But it's a little too familiar. You want? Yeah, I get you. Sure. You know. Uh, we, we are very uncomfortable with that word fear. Have you noticed this? Is that we want it, we're coming up with all kinds of definitions, except for Lawrence, he's not. But everybody, we're all, right? I mean, we are. We're, we're very uncomfortable with that, that, that it feels like that somehow that that puts him bigger and us littler, or I don't know what it is, but the reality is he is bigger and we are littler. I mean, the, 
the thing that I think from a human point of view that we're constantly striving to do is bring God down to our level, right? Well, if he would just be more understanding. Well, if he, God is God. And part of the faith life is to accept that and walk with God and know that as we walk with him, he does have our best interest. He does have that. But, but part of his best interest or our best interest is that we have a healthy sense of fear. A healthy sense of fear is part of having a good life. It's not over the top because that turns into phobic, right? That turns into something that you you live your life just know, oh, I just know God's going to get me. I just know he is. The other shoe's going to fall eventually, and when it does, oh boy. And so you're living God, you're living your life with God that way. That is, that's a legalistic way to live your life with God. And it doesn't include mercy. It doesn't include compassion. It just looks at God as this sort of taskmaster. Well, on some things he is, but it's countered with the same one that sent his son to suffer and die for us and to show love and compassion and mercy to us. The same one who, who treated all the ten lepers as if they were all the same in the gospel today. See, it seems contradictory, doesn't it? But that's the way God presents himself. And so he says, here I am. Yeah, Eddie. Well, the atheists are using this question of fear against them. Because they are saying that uh, all the religious people are only good at your work because they fear God. Right. So they are not good themselves inside of God. They, they just do all the good stuff out of fear. Right? You can make that claim, but that doesn't make it clear. Yeah, this question is an issue This often comes up. Saying that you can give, you can be a good person just thinking about the community and not having others and so on, and you don't need religion. And if you don't need religion, then you don't need God. That's kind of the underlying yeah, message there. Sure is. Okay. I got, oh, Joseph, save us from this moment. Yes. Um, I was just going to say, I think part of the uniqueness of Christianity is that we have a very personal God. Yeah. If He is this, this all-powerful being, He is. Right. But if He's only that, then He's just like every other pagan God in the Old Testament, right. and all the Greek gods that you see that are shooting people down. And you know, right. um, but if He's on the other side, He's just my best friend. Then He's not a God. And there's yeah. no value to that. But when He's somewhere in between, you have that power as a God, but also that personal relationship that makes him so unique to every other country. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So there's a the, there's a human connector there, which is through Jesus, and yet that doesn't negate the overarching power of God to be able to take care of anything that goes on in this world and in the present, the past, and the future and we don't have to live our lives in phobos. That's the Greek word for fear. Phobos means terror. We don't have to live in terror of today, tomorrow, or the next day. Because the God that's in charge is bigger than we are. <laughs> that's news to some people. All right, well, let's see what happens here. Verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, 
I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through their offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because what? You obeyed me. So the blessing of the covenant was there. God said, I'm going to do this. But he's waiting to see if Abraham is prepared in his faith to handle it and to receive it. And lo and behold, he is. And so now Abraham is the father of our faith. He's the forefather, if you will. He, Isaac, Jacob, the whole group. Yeah, Dan. It's about waiting to see if Abraham is prepared. That's good. Well, about waiting to see. Over here, Lord, it says that um, where well, you're pointing to something we want to look well, and see. Earlier it said, uh, now I know that you fear God. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, God already knew that. Yeah. So this wasn't a test for God to see what he It was a training moment for him. That's right. The journey of faith is maturing in this. And it is really now going from just knowledge of belief in as if like, oh, I'm looking way over there and seeing how God's working like He did in Sodom and Gomorrah, but I wasn't in there. Now He's in there. That's right. That's right. It's the difference between putting your your life into someone else's hands versus reading a book about it. We would all love to read the book about putting your life into somebody else's hands, right? But none of us wants to be the one putting our life into somebody's hands. That's what faith is. That's what faith is. That's right. Great point, Dennis. Okay, one final word, Eddie, and then we must leave. Yes. Now, Eddie, why are you even bringing this up? I think, though, see, once he banished Ishmael, the banishment was, you're not my son anymore. Even though, biologically, he was. So I tell you what, I think Bob has a great answer to that. If you want to talk to him after class, I think that would be... <laughs> no, I'm teasing. I don't, I don't know. All right, let's close with prayer. Why is it always the last minute, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the way that your, your word speaks to us today. We live our lives in the dark. Most of the time, we, we don't even know what's going to happen five minutes from now, much less a year or even beyond. And sometimes, Lord, when we look down the path of our lives or the life of other people, our kids, people we care about, we think, oh, what a train wreck. And yet you call us to live our lives walking by faith, not by sight. It's not about what we see. It's not about what we think. It's not about what we experience. All those things are important. But faith requires us to just simply hang on to your promises, what you've done for us in Jesus and trust that that promise will continue through life. That's it. 
So bless us in that way, Lord. Bless us in that journey as that's what we do. And some days we're doing it better than others, that's for sure. But as we walk that path, help us remember that you walked that path already for us with your son, Jesus. And so we hang on to him as each and every day we trust in what you offer to us through him. So watch over us this day, dear Lord. Be with us this week until we're together again in two weeks. And we pray that in Jesus' name. 